Well, let's, let's pray and we'll get started. Father, we do thank You, Lord, again for uh, giving us today and giving us this time together. Father, we are uh, grateful for the opportunity to be here and grateful for uh, the fact that we have Your, your Word. Uh, Lord, please open up our hearts and minds to it and enable us to uh, receive Your truth and be changed by it. Thank You for the opportunity to go out to the prison today and we pray for all uh, the folks there and pray that they uh, too are truly affected by your by your truth and and seek your face and seek to know you and father grant more opportunities we pray to share with those around us uh, and especially in this community and we pray lord save souls we thank you in jesus name amen amen Three things I want, uh, I'll give you a little three points here that I was going to get to this morning that I didn't. Um, um, worship is a, is a duty. A lot of times people don't like to think of it that way, but it really is. I mean, we're, we're commanded. And even when you think of passages like um, commands to love the Lord, what's the, what's the first and greatest commandment? Love God, right? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus said that's the first and greatest commandment. Uh, so it's a commandment. Um, then you have a lot of, of imperatives, you know, commands like in the Psalms. I mentioned, I mentioned this morning Psalm 113 through 118. So here's a, here's a couple of examples from there. Psalm 113, 1, praise the Lord. Pray, and that's not just an exclamation like, uh, praise the Lord, but it's, it, it's a, it's a command. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Um, and Psalm 117, verse 1, Praise the Lord, all nations, extol Him, all peoples. That's like a, that's like a call, you know, or or, uh, a command to praise, praise the Lord. So worship is a is a duty. Um, Psalm thirty-seven four says, "Delight yourself in the Lord." Uh, Not not just a suggestion, but I mean, it's saying that's that's what we should do. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And then secondly, it's, it's, a, it's a delight. <clears throat> Worship is a delight. Um, I had, I, I forgot to pull it up and bring it with me, but I, there's a great quote from C.S. Lewis on that that I like to uh, reference, but I, I don't have it with me. I have to do it another time. But he essentially just says this. Every, everybody worships what they or he, he uses the term praise, but he says everybody praises what they uh, delight in. That's just that's just the way it is. You know, he he was an atheist for a long time, and he thought uh, how foolish that to him. I mean, he thought it was just foolish that God would be commanding people praise me, praise me, praise me, praise me. He thought you know that's uh, um, doesn't make sense. Um, he 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 likened it to, and I didn't say this, he did, but he he like. <laughs> He likened it to uh, an, an old woman who wanted compliments all the time, and, and that's the way he was thinking about God. You know, as if it was just a, a, a person, um, like a like a, 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 a human being that, that likes to be complimented. But he got to he, you know that uh, insight came to mind. I mean, he got to thinking about that. Well, everybody praises. Whatever it is that they're that they're delighting in, and he gives he of course he says it very eloquently and gives examples. You know, um, 
when, and you can think of or, or, you know, our own examples. You think of hobbies. People just talk about them, talk about them, talk about them. You, you think of, uh, you know, like sports teams and that kind of thing. Or um, in relationships, a lot of times, you know, somebody's uh, uh, in love or maybe just infatuated with somebody, and, and there's just constant praise. You know, they're talking about them, talking about them, talking about them. Idols, you know, we have in our culture, um, celebrities and that kind of thing, and, and, and you hear a lot of praise. Uh, um, I guess probably... Sports is the it, sports is probably the biggest thing, at least that comes to my mind. You know, you hear people constantly when you work in a place like I do, constantly talking about their teams. So C.S. Lewis noticed that. You know, the praise every, everybody does it. Everybody does it. You're praising something. You praise what you delight in. So what the Lord is really telling us to do is to delight in Him, like Psalm 37:4 says. And if we truly do that, the result is going to be. That we praise Him because you you uh, you worship what you delight in. Those two things are really inseparable. We worship what we delight in, and we delight in what we worship. And you, and you see that in in Psalm thirty-seven four. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Well, what do you desire? What you delight in. And what do you delight in? delight in? What you desire. So if you delight yourself in the Lord, what are you going to desire? The Lord. So, so and that's why I always think of that passage. It's like the Lord is telling us, if you delight yourself in me, I will give you more of me. Because you're going to desire, if you delight yourself in me, you're going to desire me, and I'm going to give you the desire of your heart, which is going to be me. So delight yourself in me, and, and you get me. And then the third one is worship is a privilege. We get to, emphasis on that, we get to worship God. It is granted to us. And, uh, you know, last couple Sunday mornings in Sunday school, we talked a little bit about um, free will and election. We were talking about salvation being the gift of God. Uh, so so it, it it is a privilege. I mean, He has granted to us that we would worship Him. Um, Philippians 1.29 says, It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, uh, you, sh- you should... No, the statement here is about suffering, but, but he mentions believing. It, it, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. So two things there he's saying are granted to the Philippians. One, that they should suffer for Christ, but also that they should even believe on Him. It has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in Him, in other words, that was granted, but not only that, but that you should suffer for His name's sake. So the fact that we believe and the fact that we worship um, is is granted to us. It, it is something we get to do. It's a privilege to be able to worship the true God and know Him. And even, even to me, you know, I think this is what we've lost a lot in our culture uh, I guess I'm preaching to the choir here, like they say. But um, it's like the fellowship, you know, com- uh, the community of a, of a local church. That's something we get to do. You know, it's not a... <laughs> I mean, we shouldn't think of it as a burden, like, oh, man, i got to go to church, you know, and got to... Oh, it's Wednesday night, i got to go, you know, go to a prayer meeting. I mean, that's something we, we, that we get to do. 
God has blessed us with. And in, in this country, um, we, we have been blessed so far to get to do it freely. And just, uh, it's a privilege. It's a privilege. One other main thing here I wanted to touch on. Um, and I was thinking about this along with, uh, I had mentioned something to the effect of, uh, I forgot how, something to the effect of God being faithful. I think that was one of the main points, wasn't it? Anyway, I was thinking uh, what I'm about to give you. Uh, yeah, that was number five. Worship God because He is faithful. Well, in this sense, and in, in, um, in you think of it in context in Revelation 19, what, what is going on here? Well, all the way through Revelation, I mean, go, go back to the beginning, and you think about the seven letters that were sent to the seven churches, and, and he keeps giving this promise of reward to those who persevere. Um, and then we've got that theme all the way through the book, because there's a lot of talk about a lot of tribulation, and, and uh, tribulation coming at us from the world, for example, in the form of persecution. But then there's also God pouring out His judgment, and He's bringing judgment on the world. But then all the way through there, He's saying, um, you've got this theme of those who endure to the end shall be saved. You know, there's reward for you at the end of this. You know, this, this is temporary. All this trouble, all this judgment, persecution, whatever it is, is temporary, and reward is coming. Well, here we're, we're seeing that realized. Uh, and, it, and it shows God's faithfulness. And here's how it um, plays out. Look at verse 7. In the middle of their praise here, their doxology, it says, Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. Why? For, he gives us a reason here, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. I mean, you see, all the, all the way through, that's, that's been like the light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, the, the believers are living persecution, and they're, and they're watching God pour out His judgment. So, in other words, it looks like the whole world. I mean, we've seen passages that talk about mountains being moved out of their place and islands being moved, you know. I mean, it's just upheaval, uh, massive up, upheaval, cosmic upheaval. And so this has been the light at the end of the tunnel, you know, these promises of reward, reward. You're going to, you will be my people, I will be your God. I will dwell with you and this and that. Well, now he's saying, this is it. It has come. The marriage of the Lamb has come. So a part of all of this rejoicing and praising that's going on in chapter 19 is because he has faithfully brought them through the tribulation of this world. I guess I should be saying us. He has faithfully at this point, he has faithfully faithfully brought us through the tribulation of this world. And and here's the way it again, here's the way it plays out. He says the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Who's who's the bride? Hmm? The church. Amen. Amen. So this is um, this is almost um, puzzling in a way because you say, okay, the marriage supper of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And so, well, does that is is he saying there 
that um, the church, people like you and I, by our own efforts, have been able to enter into the marriage supper of the Lamb? No. So, so what? So, how do you explain? He says it, 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 the bride has made herself ready, or clothed herself in verse eight. It was granted to her. Amen. Amen. So the bride has made herself ready. Verse 8, it was granted her to clothe herself. That's the faithfulness of God. Now, she clothed herself. And this is, this is more evidence of that tension that we, we talk about between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. So, so who, and hopefully I'm not making too much out of the analogy here. I mean, it is an analogy, but, but still, um, I, I think the, the wording is there for a reason. Um, she clothed herself. She made herself ready. So, so she's doing things throughout this period. Getting ready. Getting ready for the Lord's coming. Clothing herself. Um, but, here's the sovereignty of God behind that. Um, it was granted to her. It was granted to her. So that's, you know, it's, it's hard to see sometimes how those two things come together. But um, the church is making herself ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Making our, make, the church is making herself ready for the day in which we, our, our, our salvation comes to its fullness and we are uh, united forever with the Lord. How are we doing that? Well, it says in verse 8, it was granted her to. It was granted her to clothe herself. So there's there's the, the the metaphor, the analogy, to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. We've seen that before. The, the innumerable multitude back in chapter seven. That's how they were described. And when we went through that, I told you at the time that um, it seemed to me that was talking about the the church, the true church, the the, the people of God from all ages. They're clothed in fine linen, bright and pure. So you've got a, you've got a, a, a picturesque way of describing holiness. And remember in the last chapter when we were talking about the destruction of Babylon, there was a call, come out of her, my people. So, I mean, that's, that's what the church has to do is separate from the world. It's not that we, we walk off from, uh, you know, the community that we live in and go form a uh, commune somewhere. But, but in our conduct, uh, in, our, in our desires, in our, in our love, the things that we love, we've we got to separate from the world. We, you know, we can't be in love with money, for example. Jesus said, um, you can't serve two masters. We can't be in love with luxury, the luxury that um, is discussed all the way you know, through chapter 18 with this, the uh, Babylon um, and ease and comfort. We can't be in love with those things. We can't be in love with anything other than Jesus Christ. And that's how we make ourselves ready, separating from the world. And you look at uh, the remainder of verse 8. It says he, he gives an explanation. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So it's the, 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 what he's saying we are clothed with is good works. Righteousness, what we would call practical righteousness. Not, not righteousness. That we're, not, we're not talking about earning our way into right standing with God. But we're just talking about right living in this world. Doing what is right. 
the righteous deeds of the saints. That's, that's what the church is clothing herself with in preparation for the wedding. And it is being granted, and this here, of course, is where the faithfulness of God comes in. It is being granted to us to do that. God in His sovereignty and in His uh, providential working um, is enabling us to live the Christian life in the midst of tribulation in this world. I mean, that's just kind of a simple way uh, to put it. When you think about being clothed with, uh, with, with um, righteous deeds, what is it specifically that He has granted to us? The ability to live the Christian life. He, he's given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So, so He empowers us to live um, in a manner that is Christ-like in this world. Just do right. That's that's right. That's that's one of the best ways <laughs> I've probably heard to, to to sum it up. Because a lot of times, um, well, I mean, you can complicate it, but that's a good way to sum it up. Just just do right. <laughs> just do just do right. We we got the we got the instructions here. Uh, just do right. Just do right. And 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 we have and we have to do that, of course, trusting the Lord to enable us to do it because we're so weak. Uh, and prone to do wrong instead of do right. And so then verse 9, And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed, or blessed, whichever way you prefer to say it, <clears throat> Blessed are those who are invited. That's a common word in the New Testament. Um, it can be translated summoned, summoned, called. Sometimes it's translated called. Blessed are those who are called, are summoned to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So that's what he's saying. This is you've, you've got a happy state ahead of you. In fact, you've got a happy state now in Christ. Um, but, um, but there's more to come. There's more to come. Happy are those. Blessed are those. Um, the term there means happy, but, you know, of course it... Um, just to say that probably doesn't make it strong strong enough. I mean, you have to think in terms of like being favored, being favored with God. You're 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 happy, you're favored with God if you are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then he says, "These are the true words of God." Thought that was a, a, that's an interesting way to phrase to follow that with, isn't it? Because again, the, you know, the whole thing here. Um, in the, in the book of Revelation, is to give the church assurance. Assurance that, that God's in control, God reigns, God keeps His promises. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It really is coming. <laughs> it really is going to happen. In fact, John gets so excited about it that he starts to worship the angel. <laughs> like, like we said this morning. Uh, let me just give you a, a, a parallel passage, what I would call a parallel passage for that. Uh, we're talking about uh, the bride preparing, making herself ready, clothing herself with fine linen, which is the righteous deeds of the saints. So think about um, Ephesians 2, for example. 
Let me get over there. Very familiar passage. We'll start in about verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. So that's not our work, is it? I mean, saving ourselves is not our work. We don't. That's not our doing. It is the gift of God, clear enough. Just like we saw in Revelation, it, it was granted. Even, even, the, even the works, which we'll see here in a second. But it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, so God has foreordained that we walk in good works. And remember, the, the, the metaphor to walk there is, is the idea of uh, manner of life or conduct. Paul uses that a lot. So our manner of life, our conduct, what, what characterizes our, our lives is um, good works. And, and God foreordained that. He foreordained that we should walk uh, in good works. We are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then Philippians, flip over to Philippians 2. Here's a verse where you really see that tension between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man, which it was there in Ephesians 2. We're saved by grace through faith, but then he goes on to say, you know, we're called to good works. I mean, in other words, there really are works that we have to do. Philippians 2. Therefore, my beloved, 2.12, Philippians 2.12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my, pre- in, in my presence, but all, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So, and then he gives examples of how to do that. But, um... God works in us, creating the will, and as He works the will in us, Revelation 19 said it was granted to her um, to clothe herself. So God, God works in you both to will and to do, or to work for His good pleasure. And again, the first part of that in, in verse 12 Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I think what he's saying there is is live it. Um, in other words, work it out practically. You're, you're saved. You're a child of God, um, saved by grace through faith, like we just read in Ephesians. So work that out practically. Um, what would that look like? Well, look at verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's the fine linen, pure and bright, that John was describing in Revelation 19. Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So that's in verse 12, that's what he's talking about doing. Work out. Work out your own salvation. In other words, work it out practically in your life. Do right. Just do right, like Miss Joe said. Just do right. 
Because, Paul gives us a, a reason. Uh, you know, because, for, it's the little word for, um, which is um, common word in the Greek. It's, in Greek it's gar. And G, we would spell it G-A-R. Very common in the, uh, I think that's where it pops up here. But for, it's going to give us a reason. Work, work, work out your salvation practically because God works in you. So you see what he's saying? I mean, you're not doing it under your own power. It'd be easy, easy to take the first part, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, and think, oh my goodness, God is expecting me and my own power to make these things happen. No, he says work out, work it out, because God works in you. That's why, that's why we're able to do that. Because God works in you, both to will and to do. In other words, he's, he's the one behind the desire. If you desire to do good, you desire to live faithful as a Christian, that's because God's worked that desire in you. And He's working in you to do. So, so He gives you the desire and He gives you the ability to do it. So with that in mind, you know, the, you, God's, God's granting, just like He grants to her to be clothed, God is granting the desire and the ability, therefore work it out practically in your life. And if you got any doubt that that's going to actually happen, uh, then you turn over to Revelation 19, and and you see that um, there's the bride, and clothed in fine linen, um, she has clothed herself. It's done. She has clothed herself because it was granted to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and pure. And then the marriage supper takes place. It has come. Okay. Any any thoughts on any of that? It's awesome, isn't it? So so we're not so we don't do works to you know, we always want to be clear on that. We don't we don't think we're saved by works. We don't do works in order to be saved. But because we're saved, because we're called, um, we do good works. That's part of what we're called to. Okay, well, y'all, let's pray.